The information expressed in the following podcast is intended for educational purposes only and was created by and belongs solely to Believe Limited and the Flow podcast and does not necessarily reflect the views of our sponsors. Please speak to your healthcare provider before making any medical decisions. Hi, I'm Jessica and welcome to Flow. I'm here with Sarah Watson, sex therapist, and we want to know, how's your flow? Welcome once again to Flow. This is season two. We are back with monthly episodes, and we are on a mission to normalize conversation around menstruation. Flow is straight talk about extreme periods, no filter on this discussion. Amy Board is behind the scenes making magic happen. And on the mic, we have a brilliant menstruator joining the Flow team. Hosting with me today is, drumroll please, Sarah Watson, licensed professional counselor, ASACT certified sex therapist and art therapist. She offers counseling in Michigan via telehealth and is opening up online coaching through simple sex education. Speaking for all of us, like all menstruators, everywhere. I wanna say we are psyched to be talking today. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much, Jess, for having me. I'm so excited to be here and hosting with you. Cheers to that. Tell me about the focus of your practice and your work. I have been focused on sexual health and relationships for about five to six years. I work with women who are struggling with all types of issues within their relationship, struggles with heavy periods, struggles with who they are erotically, struggles in partnership. And then I also work with couples and love to talk to them about what is going on within their relationships and how they can reach where they would like to reach in their relationship, whether that's communication, sexual health, parenting, the whole shebang. In addition to my private practice, I found a need through my clients and then talking to friends and family that, you know, sex ed has been so lacking within our country for a multitude of reasons. And part of my work within therapy sessions is providing sex ed. So not everyone wants to come to therapy or can invest in therapy long term. So why not have a business that does that, where we sit and we talk and we do retreats and we do presentations all about sex ed, whether it's for you as an individual, whether it's a parent getting ready to talk to your little ones about sexual health, women with shame. So we're kind of covering all of the bases in a really digestible way, and I'm really excited about it. Fantastic. Yes, as we know, we're going to talk about the need for so much more sex education and all the missing sex education we got later in this episode. Yeah, so it's highly needed. We all need it. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to be a provider to help. Now a word from Takeda, a proud sponsor of the Flow Podcast Initiative. Takeda is the manufacturer of Von Vendi, Von Willebrand Factor Recombinant. Together, we're committed to connecting you to the resources that can support you throughout your journey and to help get the word out to women everywhere. You have a voice, you have a community, and you have our unwavering support. To learn more, visit vonvendi.com slash flow. That's V-O-N-V-E-N-D-I dot com slash flow talking about it all. Is there any TMI limit? No, none. None whatsoever. Fabulous. So appropriate <laughs> for us here on Flow. Let's hit the ground running or hit the couch chatting. Can I ask you, Sarah, how's your flow? What's going on in your menstrual experience right now? <sighs> Today, it's a little crampy. I will say mm. that. Um, I 
should be starting relatively soon, but I don't get a period because I have a wonderful device called an IUD, and I'm a huge fan of it. Being a bleeder myself, it really helps um, control my period, which I generally don't get one, but I still get the symptoms of. So I will get crampy and, and feel some certain things, but otherwise, not so bad today. Knowing that that's where you're coming from, I want to say I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I've been 10 years off birth control. Only in the past five do I feel like my sensitivity has returned to feeling my cycle. And only in the past four have I been bold enough to say I can feel when I'm ovulating. Mm -hmm. Which I bring up because some people not only feel when they ovulate, but it is an extreme moment of pain. Yes, and I am in that club most mm-hmm. months, most months, absolutely. It's pretty wild. Pretty wild. And there are some people, some menstruators, who don't feel it at all, who don't Correct. have sensation attached to that part of the phase. And of course, we're talking about ovulation, but I do mean the luteal phase, follicular and luteal phase. While that's mm-hmm. the clinical term for what we're going to be talking about, the technical term for ovulation pain that I found out in prep for this episode is middle schmerz. Mm-hmm. Yes. Middle pain. The German word for middle pain apparently got determined to be the clinical name for ovulation pain. So with middle schmerz on the table, we're inviting into the room Michelle. Welcome, Michelle Rizak. She is a mom. She is a woman with a bleeding disorder, and we are so happy to chat with her about painful ovulation today. Which we will get to right after this quick break. This ad is brought to you by Von Vendi, Von Willebrand Factor Recombinant. My name is Nicole, and my deciding factor is making my voice heard. To hear the backstory, drop by Von Vendi. That's V-O-N-V-E-N-D-I dot com slash patient dash stories. So, Sarah and Michelle. Michelle, I want to say welcome back. Thank you for having me back. I enjoyed myself last time. Looking forward to this time. As are we. Of course, you two know each other. You two had a conversation about painful ovulation, also called middle schmerz. Um, and we wanted to bring that combo here to flow. We're talking about luteal phase this episode. We're going to focus on ovulation and the extreme experience of when that causes pain. Sarah, can you tell me more about what teed up you two talking about this? Yes. You know, I don't, you know, I, I'd have to go back and find our messages, but um, Michelle and I were kind of chatting via Instagram and I think she was mentioning how she was taking care of herself and I was saying, oh, I just got through that. And uh, it was all about painful ovulation. And then we just kept on going and kind of uh, venting with each other about how awful we have it. So um, it was definitely bonding for me. It was very helpful. Yes. Yeah. Well, so Michelle, can you tell me how you two know each other? So we grew up within the bleeding disorders community. We both have a long history in our family of bleeding disorders. And so we came together as young children at the same um, summer camp and met that way. And we kept going every year for pretty much our entire lives. I mean, really up until COVID, kind of. So lifelong kind of friends every summer, spending summers together and sharing medical um, common ground. (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes. And through teenage years, so I have to ask, like through first menstruation, through those whole experiences... Yeah. Fantastic. Was it always painful ovulation? So for me, I 
it's a catch thing. So I, at puberty, I remember it being painful, but then right away I was shoved on birth control continuously for my entire teenage and adult life up until age 28. So just five years ago. So this is very new to me. I didn't have that experience. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I kept my period suppressed for my bleeding disorder. So I never experienced the ovulation. And now that I've been in a world the past five years of no birth control, I've been off of it because I've had children and postpartum. Um, I'm just enjoying being off of birth control altogether. And so my hormones regulating them has been a roller coaster. So some days or some months, the ovulation won't be as painful and then other months it will be extreme. So I'm still learning. <laughs> so this isn't something I've been sharing about very long or connect people very long. Sure. Yeah. And is it is it like that for you, Sarah, one side or the other? I know that yeah. relates to which ovaries in action. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I um, didn't have painful ovulation. I was on birth control very similarly um, as Michelle, probably since age 16, I want to say. And um, switched over to having an IUD before I had my my daughter. And it was only after having her that ovulation became painful for me and thought it would maybe kind of resolve itself. But four and a half years later, it has not. So um, it's an adventure every month. And <laughs> most of the yeah, adventure. an adventure, you never know what you're going to get. A lotto. Yeah. So it just, you know, it just really depends. And, and is it every month for you though, Sarah? I would say most of the time, I would say probably 10 out of the 12 months of the year, it's painful and it's significant pain. Yeah, I was just going to ask. Let's talk about how significant, I don't know, do we want to make a scale? Do we want to compare it to premenstrual pain? If you have that, what, how painful? I went through natural childbirth and it's pretty, the, the, the pain inside, like internal, like pretty comparable to some of those contractions I'd say it gets very severe to the point where my husband's like let's go to the ER and I'm so I'm on the floor curled up in a ball saying I can't physically move to get to the car to get to the ER because it's so painful and I so how long does it gets that, really how long does that last at that extreme level about an hour or two it, it's always and I, and then I'll have it'll be less painful for a day or two. So it's, I, I specifically know when that surge of, so they always say like the egg releasing is actually pretty violent. Like it, when you ovulate, it's like bursts out. Like they make it sound like it's, oh, it flows mm. out of you. No, it bursts <laughs> out and blood vessels burst. So with my severe bleeding disorder, all that like hemorrhaging basically when it bursts out, during ovulation is extreme pain for an hour or two. Like I can feel when it's bursting. <laughs> and it is hemorrhaging. It's at that time. Yeah. So I've gone in for imaging after the pain has subsided and they've seen blood inside. Um, they're like, you know, they um, thought PCOS for a while and things like cysts, but there was no rupturing cysts. There was never any cysts. It was just rupturing of my, like, in the ovaries, way up there. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little different. Yeah. Everyone was like, oh, PCOS, PCOS, but it's just a little different. You know, and I'm going to call back to season one. We talked to Dr. Holmes about the anatomy of ovulation, and she mentioned that 
technically it is a cyst that forms to ovulate. There is a cystic thing happening. So people who yeah. do experience PCOS are having that multiplied in all these places in their body um, around the uterus and not. Right. But technically there is a cyst forming. So in that same way, like a little bit of pain with a burst would make sense. You're at a whole other yeah, level. Yes, so I guess there's probably some similarity between the pain of a PCOS patient also than if, you know, people who have this pain with ovulation, maybe there's some common ground. Like you're saying, I never thought of it that way. They are both cysts. That's absolutely true. Right. In the same area. Good question. What about you, Sarah? Uh, we, we were talking about how it's been there and it's every month. Do you notice then which side you're ovulating from based on where the pain is centered? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you can definitely tell when it's, excuse me, as intense as Michelle's, um, but it is definitely noticing. Sometimes it's like, you know, it kind of hits you with the shock and you're like, what is happening? Kind of bending over, gonna get like a heating pad for sure. Um, and definitely taking mm. some meds for that. And right now I just use over the counter, but definitely gonna be talking to, um, and uh, consulting with my gynecologist and my hematologist to kind of see if there's anything else we can do. Because in mind, you know, obviously, typically in all the texts, right, they're going to say, you know, one to two days. And my pain can last up to five, usually. Same. If it's severe enough, it could take a long time to come down from that. A gradual coming down. Mm. Well, when you say over the counter, what 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 do you what do you mean? What kind of over the counter anti inflammatory? I'm a little dumb here. I don't know what you take in such a hemorrhaging case. So yeah. really, it's more about trying to control that pain, which maybe it's just kind of in my <laughs> my head about like, oh, I'll take some Tylenol, right? Because that's like really yeah, yeah. I can't take any NSAIDs, right? We don't want any blood thinners. Um, due to my clotting disorder. So that's it. Um, and sometimes mm -hmm. that does nothing. Uh, so it's really just being aware and trying to be mindful and breathe through it and heating pad and make my partner aware of what's going on so he knows why I'm going to be a little, little more, a little intense. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that? How do you talk to your, how did you first broach it or how do you talk to your partner about the pains? Yeah, it's, well, we, um, because I have a clotting disorder and bleeding disorder, it's been something we always kind of, not not this particular, but we kind of talk about what's going on with my body pretty frequently. And then obviously trying to get pregnant, you know, five over five years ago, um, talking about my body and what's going on. So it's not been a conversation that we have shied away from. And we've been together almost 20 years. And so we've been talking about my bleeding disorder in this community and and what goes along with that for, for almost two decades. So it's more like, hey, I'm ovulating. And he he knows what that, <laughs> that means. Mm. So, you know, or I'll just be like, I might be dying. And obviously <laughs> I am not, but he... He knows what me, what that means and kind of just to like let me be or offer to get the heating pad. Well, golly, and did you did those you discover all of these ways of treating yourself or were there ways that you were educated or learned or examples you saw or was it like I got to figure out what what's going to work for me? For me it was figuring it out. It was googling, being like what why do I have painful ovulation after having my daughter and and having a period again and being very confused because 
I wasn't, I, I was never spoken to from any kind of physician about painful ovulation. I didn't at that point, now that I'm talking about it more, have other people that are having it, but I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't realize it was. So it was really like I was Google doctor, like Dr. Google, and be like, okay, what is going on? And they're like, oh, it's, it's going to one to two days. I'm like, well, that's not me. And what you can do for it, and it's really kind of hit or miss. So just trying to figure it out. It's been, an, again, an adventure. Adventure. Great. <laughs> adventure. Wildest ride. Yeah. Oh, yes. Golly. What about just in general ovulation and like stories or narratives around it? Was there anything in your family around the time of ovulation that would explain even the hormonal shifts that accompany this part of the cycle? So I, I have an app that like predicts so, like, I'm pretty new to this period, Kim, I guess, five <laughs> years new <laughs> and ovulation in general. So I got an app way back then, and, and that's when I started to keep track of um, when the pain would hit. And it every time was right when the app said it was ovulated or within a day or two. So obviously it was that. And so when I would meet with my doctor, I would mention that, and that's where we came to that conclusion. And so now I keep track of that app and if I'm starting to even feel the slightest bit, bit of like pain down there, I'll open up the app and I'll be like, oh God, I'm ovulating. And like, I'll let people know, like, it's going to happen today. It's going to happen. It's coming. Eminent doom. <laughs> I don't have any stories about that. Like, we again, I, I didn't speak to anyone about it. It wasn't part of my uh, family culture about talking about our periods, which is kind of interesting due to the nature of the bleeding disorder that we all have. But, um, after, right, like post-childbirth and then mentioning it. I have a sister who's three years younger than me who has the same bleeding disorder but with less severity, and she's like, oh, yeah, me too. It's terrible. And then, you know, talking to a few girlfriends that just had babies, and they don't they don't have that. So um, I don't have any kind of collective stories yet. I'm sure my sister and I will start that for our daughters so that they're ready, but— Right? Yeah. yeah. If they're bleeders. I'm not sure if my daughter has the bleeding disorder yet, so. Gotcha. Yeah, Sarah's really the only first one I've connected with. I, the, I'm just so <laughs> Right, <laughs> yes. And that's what's thrilling. Mm-hmm. We're all in this. Because my daughter turns two um, this weekend. And so, I, I mean, I didn't even get my period back until, gosh, she was like eight months old. So, really... This is very much the last year and a half dealing with every month that happening. So even though it had happened in the past, I never took the time to connect with people or anything other than my immediate family letting them know. Um, but yeah, Sarah, I'll be following in your footsteps. <laughs> so. Yeah, we'll have a, a obvi- painful ovulation club. Oh my goodness. I, um, I, I can feel it when I ovulate, I just want to share, but, and like some, sometimes there's a twinge. It's not to this extreme level, but I do also notice during this time of luteal and around ovulation, hormone shifting, libido shifting, other hormonal shifts. And I'm curious if you find those and how they interact with also dealing with so much pain around this time. Yeah, for me, my husband, for the first little bit of it, was almost thinking it was him. So I guess with the up and down of hormones, right before you ovulate, you must have a big sex drive. Because I'd say almost every time before this happens, we end up doing it. And then the next day or two, he's like, it's because we did it. It's because of me. I'm so sorry. What did I do? 
we've been together 16 years. So um, same kind of thing. We've always talked about my health very openly. And I think when it's something going on downstairs like that, he's always like, is that something I could have done different? You know? Well, then he's so a good man. So this being mm-hmm. so new. Yeah. Yeah, that is something that we've been kind of trying to figure out because <laughs> the hormone, my hormone drive is just real high right before that happens. Okay. Yes. I mean, I'm, that's what I'm trying to bring to the table. Yes. Very much that experience. Sarah, how about yeah, you? Yeah, same, same. Like I know the week before I'm like, I'm feeling feisty and erotic and definitely more sensual and, you know, wanting to be close to my partner and it's definitely there and I kind of know what's happening. And if you're able to pay attention to that, right? Like if you're able to recognize where you are hormonally every month, like even though it sometimes can be a surprise, right? Because it's not going to be exactly every, you know, the same day, every cycle. Um, But yeah, for sure. Definitely notice the shift in the change and, um, and wanting to be you know, together and um, whatever that means, right? Because sex can be like this big, broad umbrella term. So just, you know, it can be a lot of different things, but I definitely notice it. I like to call it disco, disco time. Yeah. It's like a disco feeling overall. <laughs> um, what about the end of the luteal phase? So after ovulation, as and I know we're going to not dive into PMS, but when it's shifting, do you notice the shift between luteal and... Premenstrual? Mm. I don't. I don't think I do. I'm trying to think. Mm. So, yeah, I don't like. It's not super conscious, but it definitely because it's been such an issue with the painful ovulation. Kind of knowing where I am, like I just you know said a minute ago that I do know it's happening, but like you know if I'm not really conscious of it also depends on what's going on, honestly, with all of the other things around me, right? So work and parenting and what's going on in my business and, and my partnership and like everything else. Um, but definitely, I mean, we, you know, we know that there's lots of changes to our bodies in that phase too, right? To know that your, you, your discharge, you may have discharge that's going to change, um, and that your cervical fluid is not going to be nearly as slippery, right? And so there may some, be some dryness. And um, that is definitely something that I, I notice about my cervical fluid. I am with you. That's the only way I notice too. That's, <laughs> there's no like emotional impact. Mm-hmm. It's just bit, discharge yeah. changing from like a watery egg white to a yeah. not anymore. Yeah. Which is kind of nice too, right? Like, actually, I'll yeah. say the day or two before my period starts, I've noticed I often have this like crying sensation that the world is so terrible to me and I'm so emotional. And that's kind of sometimes my hint that, oh, okay. Okay. I'll wake up the next morning and be like, oh, it wasn't a bad day. It was hormone day. <laughs> Looking <laughs> back. Mm-hmm. So I'm still learning is that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Mood swings are a mad world. It's just that, like, it can be both, you know? Mm-hmm. It can be both right now. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Uh, Great. You know, and I think other people experience what cravings, um, you know, sometimes, I think, was it last month or the month before where I was, like, just needing a lot of chocolate? And then being uh, like, oh, this is what's happening. Like, <laughs> like, like, why do I need this so bad? Because I'm not too much of like, I need to have this right now kind of, 
kind of person. So that has definitely happened. So that will be an indicator too. But that doesn't happen every single cycle for me. So it's kind of kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. Interesting. I like even thinking that these kind of cravings or symptoms like that aren't covered in um, sexual education that I received. Sure, I'm going to take a leap here and say neither of you either. Maybe we're seeing some heads nods, but it's I'm curious what in particular, if anything, was taught to you about this specific phase. I'm like laughing as I ask, (laughs) was any menstruation taught to you? But this specific phase, ovulation, luteal, like what was the 101 level of what ovulation is? you received do you remember or no it was like yeah you get a period (laughs) right and it was like yes you ovulate but no one was like this is what that means Mm. I don't think maybe I don't think until high school that I figure that out and that was on my own it wasn't like or maybe I'm sure it was maybe I won't assume because I went to private school but like I won't assume that they discussed it medically accurately, like medical and it, it being accurate. Um, but no, I didn't hear anything about ovulation. And I don't think I really paid attention to any of it until I was trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. And I was told I didn't need to ovulate. It wasn't important. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. You just get our birth control because my life was at risk having a period every month growing up. So there was no other option, no other way to control that. And then, yeah, the ovulation was painful even then. So they didn't know what to do with me. They didn't really discuss it. They said, here's a Band-Aid, <laughs> which I'm finding is very common with my generation of friends, um, whether it's PCOS, whether it's bleeding disorders, whether it's any female anatomy issues, the Band-Aid has been, for our generation, birth control. And I think a lot of us now coming out of having children um, and trying to regulate our hormones are finding that that was masking it and that those issues never went away. They're still very much there. And I'm finding there's other ways to regulate hormones. And I'm learning, um, still learning. So, yeah, it's a very long path ahead of me, but I'm excited to look into other options other than birth control because I really wasn't taught. So here I am, 32. I want to have to ask you both. I'm correct, right? You both have girls as yes. children. I have one girl, one girl, one boy. So you will have the opportunity to share some amount of sexual education, at least in your own homes. And I'm. do you have any thoughts towards the first step? Just what's the first step you might take to explain just for this episode, ovulation or any of it. Michelle, you want to go? <laughs> like, I can't tell if you want or to go. Or not yet. I mean, you can think about it here on the show, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, so I, obviously, being a sex therapist, and uh, I am not a certified sex educator yet, but sex education is so important to me because I didn't get it, right? Like, I went to private school. My, I, you know, vaguely remember getting a book handed to me, and that was just kind of all-encompassing about you know, sexual relationships. But when it comes to to ovulation and periods and menstruation is really being frank with my daughter about, no matter if she has a bleeding disorder or not, but like, what is it about? What this means for your body? How to understand it? And yeah, not to, not to hate it. You know, I think we're kind of like, Everyone's like, oh, I'm on my period. It's the worst. And yes, it can be the worst. 
but it is just something that na- you know naturally we're all going to go through and yes sometimes it sucks but like if you understand your body more and pay attention to that then we can we can figure out what's going to be best for her um and then what are her options right for for taking care of menstruation and if she does have painful ovulation like understanding what that means for her and really just you know my whole goal right as a mom is just to give her all of the language and all the information that that is you know, age appropriate when things happen. So she's not a deer in headlights when something is going on with her body. Yeah, exactly. I think that's why I was a deer in headlights when that question got asked. My daughter is only two. So I'm like, I, it's super important to me to, um, hone in on like, you know, sexuality, sexual sex is important to us as humans. Sexuality is not going to be ashamed of, I don't want to like shame it in any way. I want to keep the conversation open and especially knowing for a fact that she has a bleeding disorder. Also, she's going to experience, um, you know, period issues, maybe ovulation issues. So just keeping the dialogue open as I go through this, no matter how young she is, I guess, at the age. And I just don't want to ever have my health be behind closed doors because I think the best way to learn is from, you know, watching the mother I, I, my mom often hid mm-hmm. a lot of that from me, as well as it being hidden in school and, you know, shameful to talk about with peers. So my goal for my daughter is just to always keep it open at home and encourage her to stay open with her friends and her community. Because going forward with the world in general, I hope that women and sexuality continues to be a very open and prideful thing. Yes. That's where I know I'm from. Okay, I know I'm Dan. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just did. I just did. Yes. Oh, like, I'm all about this. Yes. And that's just for me, just for me, because I'm very much about women's sexuality. And, you know, the period is powerful. It Come is. On, that's smart. Right. We can create our own people, right? Like that's amazing. But it's, yes. you know, but think about what comes along. But with I grew it. up shameful of yes. that kind of. I wasn't very in tune with all of that. It was yeah. masked with birth control and mm-hmm. be a lady. So I'm hoping for some change. Still, <laughs> I, I'm so glad that you brought up the word. Uh, it kind of brought to light the idea of not shaming her, right? And not like if there's anything that we can do, it's that right? Like that alone can change hers, my daughter. It can change their whole world, right? Rather than hiding the tampon or whatever you're using up your sleeve when you go to the bathroom at school. Like, no, like you have a period. It's totally normal. We don't have to, we don't have to hide it. We don't have to be ashamed. And we don't want to shame our girls for whatever their experience is with menstruation and ovulation and PMS and all the joy of flowing, if you will. And on the flip side, I have a son and he very much knows, he comes into the bathroom, he's only three. So he very much sees sometimes, you know, there's blood. Oh, mom, you're bleeding again. Okay. All right. Well, he'll go under the sink and grab me a tampon because he knows that's (laughs) what I need. So um, I'm raising a man that's also not going to be scared of my husband used to call it the P word when I met right. him at 16. So that's not going to be my side. There's no shame on either side of the genders with it. Yes. Um, Love that. What I'm hoping for. Lead the way. <laughs> my son will be that's buying right. his girlfriend tampons. Yes. 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 Oh, the future looks bright. Great. 
Uh, <laughs> is there anything else you want yes. to touch upon? We've had an amazing combo. Where, where, what else? Yes. I'm just looking at our notes really quick. Um, yeah. I think to kind of go, just go back to like what sex ed was missing, that the one mm. note that I wanted to kind of just drive home, which will y'all will probably be hearing a lot from me on this particular issue because I'm very passionate about it, which is that, you know, we talked about cervical fluid changing and lubrication changing, like internal and self-lubrication. And just like, let's normalize the idea that lube is good for you when you are trying Mm. to be intimate or you are touching and playing and finding pleasure, whether it's with a partner or by yourself because there's no shame in the lubrication game at all. Like, it is so helpful, and we don't want to create okay, pain. Okay, funny you said that I threw away a bunch of lube yesterday <gasps> going through my closets because <laughs> my doctor gave those to me during pregnancy to, what was it? I don't even remember. It was, you know, if I wanted to, I don't remember even. Oh, my gosh. See, my mind blacked out what that lube moves for. But I saw it, and I tossed it. I was like, I will not. I don't use this. What would I use it for? And I sat there, and I'm like, so confused. I've never been taught about lube. So you mentioning that, I was like, wow, oh. maybe I should learn about lube. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many options now, too. I mean, if I can, there's a great company called Good that's all natural. They also make, like, pH balancing things. You can also use coconut oil, like, all natural fully. Like, there's... All right. Yeah. Yes. So I'll <laughs> send you some lube. So, because Good. I have a boatload <laughs> of it. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, I think there's, well, even that, like your example alone is like, okay, well, I'm never going to use this, but no, as we age as women, no matter what's going on in our cycle is that our our self-lubricating is going to change and shift and our our tissue and our vulvar tissue is going to change and we want to use lubrication and we want to treat that just like the rest of our body. Like you would put lotion on your legs and your hands, you want to be able to use lubrication, especially you're going to have, if you're going to have any internal um, pleasure. And I think it's definitely, yeah. Um, I think Jess, you're talking about um, good, clean love. That's the one. Yes. Yes. So, and just side note for our listeners, that is sold at Target now. And general. It was hard to find for a while. Yeah. You couldn't find it in stores. And um, I think I've seen it at like our local, my local drug stores, like CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid. Um, But I would also say about lube is that you need to do your research that there are um, some really not great options to put near your vulva Mm -hmm. that you don't want to be happening. So, do research, but I love good, clean love. And um, I'm also a huge fan of Uber Lube, which is awesome. Not related to Uber rides. No, surprisingly, but spelled exactly the same. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about lube and pubic hair for a second, yeah. too? Because it's just, it. you know, this is flow. This is the place for it. Yeah. In general, like part of the process of using lube is going to be the cleanup, and that's going to be different if you keep hair or not. Mm-hmm. And if you keep hair or not, it's going to be different to your natural pH balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just something to be, just be mindful of, right? Like that if you do use lube, if you are a person with a vagina and you're using lubrication and you have some sort of penetration or any kind of extra fluid, 
you generally want to go to the bathroom anyway to clean up afterwards. You don't want to sit with something, anything, yep, <laughs> in your vagina. Um, Horror story. I don't know if I told you. No, I told your aunt who I saw this weekend. I was peeing blood over the weekend because I did not pee after sex last week. <laughs> and I woke up and I told my husband I, I could not pee. I was dry. And I was like, I'm going to get a bladder infection. I know it. Next morning, I did. Yeah. So mm. pee, 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 pee. If you, pee. If you have to sit there on the toilet for like 20 minutes, just wait. Mm. Wait yeah. it out, friends. Like, <laughs> wait it out. Let it come out. And I think it's just, you know, having whatever you like. You know, you don't need to use soap or anything. You just need to use water with our vulvas. It's just water, washcloth, whatever. Whatever makes you feel good. Jump in the shower if you feel like you need to. That's kind of a whole other conversation. But like, you know, it's okay and totally normal. All good reminders I needed to hear this week. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Pee. Go pee. (laughs) (laughs) Main takeaway. Yes. And use lube. Right. Yeah. Use lube and go pee. Yeah. Great. Yes. I have one more thing I want to add if it's okay. So that after ovulation, right, that that if you are someone who participates in penetration, that it's going to feel different because your cervix has probably moved in some way. And has kind of shifted down a little bit. So it may not feel, it won't, most likely won't feel the same and, or it could be painful. Yes. That is something I often forget about because we just don't talk about it. Right. Uh, Yes. 100%. Right. And so my thought on that, right, is that if you are feeling, if you go to have, you know, if you are participating with any, so it could be digital penetration as well, that anytime that that is uncomfortable, right? To, to stop it, right? Mm-hmm. Just say, that's not feeling good, right? And if you are having a problem having that conversation with your partner, then, you know, that's something you need to think about, right? Like, it's okay to stop things when they don't feel good. Because us as women, we are not here for any job, for anybody else. It all right. depends on if it feels good. Yes. It should always be feeling good. I would like to sign up for your periodical and hear (laughs) everything you have to say on a regular basis, Michelle. (laughs) Thank you, Michelle. Yes. Thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us and sharing your experience and pain with us. We all, not all, but most of us can relate and, and we're so glad you were able to sit with us and be vulnerable and open up and I'm sure um, it's helping other women. Absolutely. And thank you, uh, Sarah and Michelle, for letting me be part of your camp friend club for the uh, time we were chatting. Welcome, Um, welcome. You're welcome. I'm excited for two little closing segments we're going to try out for a while. First, Sarah, I know you've spoken to so many different people about so many different aspects of the experience of menstruation and those things related to reproductive health. Can you share a story or a question or something that someone asks you all the time or has asked you Wanting to know whether or not it's normal. Absolutely. So I I think that's always a question is what is normal and what is not. Specifically, when we're talking about ovulation is can it change? Like we said a few minutes ago, some people don't experience pain. Some people have no idea they're even ovulating. And then they, they come to my office or chat with me. And then we talk about all of the things and they realize 
that things can shift and change throughout their lifespan because of where our cycle takes us, where it goes, and stress can impact our cycle, um, lack of exercise, lack of sleep, lack of connection, all of that impacts our cycle and our relationships. So the question generally is, um, does ovulation change throughout your lifespan? And the answer is yes, and it is totally normal. Totally normal. So change is normal. Always. Always. As much as, <laughs> as, much as most humans hate it, it is normal. Totally normal. Totally normal. You're totally, absolutely normal. Mm, normal, totally normal. So speaking of what's totally normal, it's totally normal not to have had an in-depth experience in sexual education or an in-depth study in our youth of reproductive health. And so here on Flow, we're going to try sharing a little bit of what we wish we had learned about each topic we're talking about, what we wish we knew from sex ed. Mm-hmm. Yes. If I may, I was excited we talked about this a little bit with Michelle, but knowing that in general, ovulation is such an active experience when the narrative around female reproductiveness is one of passive waiting. Mm-hmm. That I wish, I wish I had understood that context. Yeah. I think socially there's a lot of repercussions to think about. Yeah. What tell me more what you think the repercussions would be. Well, when women are seen reproductively as passive beings, what what was the word Michelle used? Burst, the violent process of mm. ovulation, right? It can burst out. But in general, if we forget that and believe a narrative that women are passive because reproductively mm. they're passive, <laughs> quote unquote, from an old paradigm, if if we ascribe to that or if we don't even know we've been indoctrinated into that way of thinking, then it can be revolutionary to realize how active every moment of female life can be. Always. And I think I would ta- I would tag active with how powerful, right? like how powerful our bodies are, even if we're not always in tuned or maybe when we are experiencing pain and being frustrated with pain. But then and once you're out of that, can you look back and say, wow, my body is this amazing and can do all of these wonderful things and we can continue the human race. Like that's a like, hello, amazing and so powerful. Obviously, in that general global sense, so powerful. And how can you find your power every day? How can you find your power knowing your body is capable of handling so much pain, like the pain of PMS, Mm -hmm. which is what we're going to be talking about next episode, next month. Can't Mm -hmm. wait. Sarah, we're going to have so much fun this year. So much fun. I'm so excited. Well, that's it for this month. We'll see you next time on Flow. Bloodstream Media is more than just a rare disease podcast network. With shows on chronic pain, menstrual health, and Dungeons and Dragons, yes, Dungeons and Dragons, Bloodstream Media's got a little something for everyone. Visit bloodstreammedia.com or find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to learn more. And thanks to our sponsor Takeda for their support of Flow. Flow is produced by Bloodstream Media. Shout out to Amy Board, creative director, and your hosts, Sarah Watson and Jessica Richmond. In 2022, Flow will have new episodes the second Thursday of every month. Hey, that's the day after I start menstruating. <laughs>